What is Scientology? What do Scientologists believe? How did this belief system, this cult, become so powerful, filled with such prominent people? And why does it matter? We're going to talk about all of these things and so much more in this two-part series that we've got on Scientology. We've got Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Songkrant from the Cultish Podcast. You guys love these guys. I love these guys. And they are, of course, as they always do, going to bring the gospel every step of the way. I learned so much from this two-part series. I know that you will too. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's goodranchers.com, code Allie. Jeremiah, Andrew, thanks so much for coming back and, and joining us on Relatable. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. Um, I want to talk about in this episode, Scientology. And this is just kind of, I want a basic rundown of what Scientology is, we tend to see it in the news. We see it as kind of like this crazy, kooky thing off to the side. But the truth is that the people in Scientology have a whole lot of power and seemingly a lot of influence. So whoever wants to answer, can we like back up from the beginning? What is Scientology? Like, is there any relation to Christianity, Christian science? What the heck is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And so when you, I want to maybe hit this on different levels because it really depends on the entry point at, at which you find out about Scientology. For us, like I said, it's probably looking at something uh, going on in the news. Like there's some uh, news going on in California about the guy from that 70s show. Or if you look at you know something going on with Tom Cruise or perhaps with John Travolta, there's a lot of different vantage points. But when you kind of look at Scientology from just a general interest point, if you go to their website, it kind of looks like a Tony Robbins sort of personal development mm -hmm. course, mm -hmm. but maybe on the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, that's the way I would describe it. Yeah. And so when you kind of look at it from that vantage point, it's more of like, hey, this is how I, how can I improve myself? How can I improve my self-confidence? Are you having uh, struggles with, you know, people approval? And I think this is also, has been one of the appeals to Scientologists in the Hollywood world, just because there's a lot of nervousness when it comes to trying to get uh, auditions. And, and there's just a, a big part of it just is a big self-improvement point. But it'd be very different from somebody who would grow up in Scientology from a uh, from from birth, from uh, from growing up in it, or if you have somebody, for example, who is going through a personal problem and they go into it. So it really depends on which angle uh, that you take. But if we go back to the very very beginning, it was mm -hmm. founded by someone named L. Ron Hubbard, mm -hmm. and the precursor to him prior to the Church of Scientology. And there's going to be a couple. Uh, there's a unique relationship of sorts, sometimes a Stockholm Syndrome when it comes between Scientology and the U.S. government, uh, specifically on whether or not they are a religion or whether or not they can get tax-exempt right. status. Right. So you really looked at L. Ron Hubbard prior to this. He actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most amount of books written specifically hmm. on science fiction. Hmm. In fact, if you go into the last couple times I've been to a used bookstore, you can actually find books written by L. Ron Hubbard. In fact, one of the book there's actually a movie that came out, uh, is it probably one of the worst reviewed movies of all time called Battlefield Earth with John Travolta, and that's actually mm -hmm. a book based off of a science fiction book written by L. Ron Hubbard. So really the idea is that a lot of people really don't know like what was L. Ron Hubbard's true motive for 
starting Scientology, for, for what a lot of people say, and this is articulated in the documentary and Lawrence Wright's book, Going Clear, is that he initially wanted to see, how can I find a way to make the most amount of money? And that was to start his own religion, which would have given them tax-exempt status. So on the on the surface level, Scientology has an idea of being this self-improvement, very much dealing with mental health issues. So Andrew, why don't you kind of jump in, talk about the beginning of Dianetics and uh, about Dianetics and how that kind of relates to the appeal, initial appeal of Scientology being kind of that, having that self-improvement, personal development aesthetic. Right. So L. Ron Hubbard uh, posited a thesis within a book called Dianetics in 1950. It's called Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health. In that, he was making a position against modern psychology. He didn't like modern psychology. You can actually look up a YouTube video of Tom Cruise talking with, I forget who the anchor person Matt is. Matt Lauer. Yeah, he starts mm. going off on psychology. It's actually yes, pretty. Yes, uh, I remember so- that and antidepressants and things like that, which some of the things that he was saying, true. Right, right, right. So um, what's interesting, though, about what is posited within Dianetics is essentially that L. Ron Hubbard makes a distinction between what is called the analytical mind and the reactive mind. So the analytical mind in Dianetics is controlling of conscious awareness, rationality and reasoning, uh, memory and retrieval of that memory, created creativity and imagination and problem solving and planning. But then there's the reactive mind, which is the subconscious mind. This is where Things can be stored from past traumatic experiences, things that they call engrams within Scientology, uh, which influence behavior, give you triggers, and that impacts the analytical mind. So the goal of Dianetics is through uh, auditing, right, is when you go to a what they would say is like a certified auditor where you're holding those two like metal cans and it's giving you a little meter, the e-meter that's going off. They ask you a series of questions, and when it's triggering correctly, they locate an engram, and then you can get rid of these engrams through a series of auditing. So that was the initial class that was given in order to get people kind of hooked, and this came out in the 1950s, but there's a whole worldview that's even behind uh, engrams, presuppositions, uh, the origin of what we would call is uh, a human, right, Uh, in terms of how they view what the soul is or what a person even is. It's it's pretty intense. It gets pretty deep, but these are yeah. things that actually you don't even learn in Scientology until you become an operating Thetan level three. So there's something called the bridge to total freedom within Scientology, and this is a, essentially it's the classes that you have to take, right? And each class yeah. you have to pay for. I forgot how much it costs, but I think it's somewhere around 150 to almost $300,000 just to become an operating Thetan level three. And I can go into the discussions of what even a Thetan is or what does it mean to be an operating Thetan. But essentially, just to even find out the origins of our world and who we are, you already have to pay at least two dollars to $300,000, meaning <laughs> that Scientology is like uh, being a frog in a boiling pot of water, right? So you get in with Dianetics and you start taking these classes and the water is slowly being turned up. You're going to be so far invested into Scientology by the time you learn about the origins of the universe, as crazy and as far-fetched as they are, that you're probably just going to believe it. Okay, a break to tell you guys about Adele Natural Cosmetics. It's a family-run, holistic, handcrafted, and toxin-free cosmetic company where all of their products are made in the U.S. This is a family that's such an encouragement to me. They consistently tell me that they're 
praying for me, that they're supporting me, they're fans of the show, and they make amazing products. Like I said, they're all natural, they're all handcrafted, and so you can trust that the ingredients that you're putting on your skin when you're using their skincare or using their foundation, the different makeup that they have, that they sell, that you are putting things on your skin that are actually good for you. Rather than toxic, the fake fragrances and all of that stuff, you are actually uh, making your skin healthier. And I've noticed a big difference just in my complexion, the smoothness of my skin, the moisture in my skin since I switched to Adele Natural Cosmetics a few years ago. So thankful for them. I know you're going to love them too. Go to adelnaturalcosmetics.com. Use code Allie at checkout for 25% off your first order. adelnaturalcosmetics.com, code Allie. adelnaturalcosmetics.com, code Allie. So I'm going to say something really controversial and I'm look because I'm looking at Hubbard's statement about why he created Scientology. As you said, it was founded in 1953. He said, make money, make more money, make others produce so as to make money. Now, that is not all that different from a lot of the slogans of multi-level marketing companies, which I'm not saying are all cults. Like I'm not saying it's the same thing as Scientology. That's mm. not what I'm saying. What I do think is interesting is that you do see the rise of certain certain kinds of cult-like business practices, multi-level marketing practices also happened in the 1950s. And I'm just kind of wondering... Like, I'm wondering if there is any correlation there, because even this idea of the power of positive thinking, which some of that is biblical, that we're supposed to dwell on that, which is like lovely mm -hmm. and excellent and true and all of that. Um, but there does seem to be some crossover with like the prosperity gospel, Scientology, um, a lot of the rise in certain kinds of marketing and business practices in like mid-century America. I don't know. I, I just wonder kind of why all of these things happened yeah. at the same time. And even the self-help movement really started to pick up the 1950s, 60s, 80s, of course, was like a big boom for all of this. And I just wonder if there's any connection or what was kind of going on in America that caused all of these things to boom around the same time. Yeah, that's a good question. I think from a as far as the MLM standpoint, we just did a crossover with our friends from uh, Sheologians. And the the marketing standpoint of MLM, just to say, state real quickly, was really you kind of think of like the Mad Men era where the men went to work, you had all the women who were staying home, and most of the time for a lot of companies, and this is also in a lot of things like washer machines, uh, vacuums, just a, there was a lot of automation when it came to being a homemaker, and they're trying to figure out how can I get these products into the household. Well, a lot of times, you know, women would make the, the would help would really be a catalyst for making the decisions of what purchases were made. So the thought was like, how can I make women who are staying at home a distributor in comparison to a traveling salesman like a madman-like character, like a John Hamm character knocking on the door. Right. Well, if someone is just one of your girlfriends knocking from door to door, hey, that's, that's a great idea. I think there's a similarity in Scientology in the sense to where even then or even today, in order to go up a company and become a top earner or an ambassador, you kind of have to become your own personality. And there is sort of this lifestyle or bridge to total freedom that's marketed uh, specifically. And a lot of times what is propagated is not what you end up getting on the other on the other end. So there'd be a similar there'd be a similar aesthetic to that. Um yeah, I think well every generation is unique where there's nothing new under the sun. I think people are always wanting 
to God, like the Lord has put eternity in the hearts of men. And so regardless of what era uh, is around, there's always going to be that unique interest about finding more about ourselves and, and the world and the universe and all that, which is very interesting. So when L. Ron Hubbard published Dianetics, it was one of those instances of something going viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard didn't really plan to have it be as popular as it was. In fact, it was a New York uh, Times bestseller for quite a bit of time. In fact, people were starting their own independent Dianetics groups. And so when he realized that was happening, that's when he's tried to put more of his teaching out there to try and compartmentalize and also also, uh, compensate and get compensation. And eventually, there was a point where it kind of went big and kind of died off. And that's where Ron Hubbard really like, okay, well, what can I actually do to kind of rebound and, and make this about me and really uh, get, because yeah. there's my, what I wrote has a lot of appeal to a lot of people. And so that's where he came up with the idea to formulate the religion of Scientology. And so th- that's what you end up seeing. There's a huge interest in self-improvement that it must have just been what was going on in yeah. the culture at the time. But I do see, I guess I see somewhat of a similar aesthetic because when you look at having this bridge to total freedom, which we're going to talk about, there is, it is somewhat similar. What are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I'd say it's going to be something that's piqued the American people from the fifties into the sixties, because at that time we have a rise of the infiltration of new age and new thought and theosophy Mm -hmm. into our society. Uh, In terms of MLMs, uh, we got to distinguish between like, there are legitimate MLMs in yeah. America, but and where it gets bad is when there's pyramid schemes, and it's very easy for a pyramid scheme to develop from uh, an MLM. Uh, we can think about it in terms of Keith Rainier and Nexium. Nexium is uh, very much so based off of, I'd say, like the bridge to total freedom. Uh, but it gets different with L. Ron Hubbard because what happens, like Jerry's uh, explaining, is that over time it developed into a religious system. It wasn't even until I believe 1967 until the term operating Thetan was even termed by L. Ron Hubbard. So as he slowly started getting people to go through these processes, uh, the theology of Scientology developed over time. Like they're still waiting for new operating Thetan levels to be developed now. It's what keeps them, uh, many people who have paid X amount of money still on the path to the bridge of total freedom. Cause they're still waiting for new information yeah. uh, to develop. So in terms of the American, Yeah, in terms of the American society, I would say part of the reason why people got so interested in things like this is because they started falling away from biblical truth, uh, and that happened uh, very shortly after World War II, and uh, people started looking for other things elsewhere with the infiltration of uh, the New Age, New Thought, Theosophy into our society. So to L. Ron Hubbard, these things looked very attractive, because if you look at the history of L. Ron Hubbard and the things that he taught and the places he went, he was very much so a proponent of Hinduism. Uh, he even dabbled in occultism. Uh, so he yeah. he's somebody with very unique history, very, very unique. Yeah, this yeah, and like, even oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, so even his theology, uh, and you look at just the his basic view of like what is man. And when you look at there's nothing new under the sun. Is that if you look at ancient Gnosticism, what was their what was their fundamental presupposition? Is that there's a there's not there's a duality between the flesh and the spirit, where the flesh is bad, but we're mostly spiritual beings, right? And you've also you always see that depicted in paganism, one way or the other. And that's really when you boil it down, that's what Scientology articulates: is that you are fundamentally a spiritual being that being that is trapped inside of a body in, in, in your body so there's a duality between the flesh and the spirit mm-hmm. and 
and this is also just part of cultism is that when you are being recruited, when you are entry level, you're being told, hey, this is just a personality test. This is a way to have self-confidence. This is just a way to improve. There's nothing about you know, you being an operating Thetan or on another planet, there were uh, there was an attempt to depopulate the planet, and these planets, I believe, were put into uh, caskets or put into human bombs that were dropped into volcanoes, and those volcanoes that exploded created disembodied spirits, which are now individual. Andrew, what's the term? They're th- the this, they're the Thetans, Thetans right? They're, yeah, yeah. Well, let me go so over Thetans. this. Do you want me to go over the cosmological? Yeah, Okay, so this is something uh, termed and known as the wall of fire within Scientology. Again, it's not something that people know until they're an operating Thetan level three. So the story involves the existence of a cosmic ruler known as Xenu, uh, who is believed to have lived approximately 75 million years ago. And again, this is something that people learn. Just keep this in your mind after they're so far deep. So what I'm going to tell you right now, you may sit back and you're going to go, this is hilarious, or I don't understand how anyone believes this. Well, you got to understand and put yourself in the position of the person who who believes this because of what they've been going through. This is indoctrination. Okay, so here's the narrative. Xenu was the ruler of a galactic confederacy, an, an ancient intergalactic civilization facing severe overpopulation, like Jerry was saying. To address the problem, Xenu devised a plan. So what he did is he brought billions of beings referred to as Thetans to the planet Earth. Uh, then known as TGIAC or TGI, these beings were allegedly frozen and transported in spacecraft to various volcanoes in Earth. And then there's an explosion, right? And Xenu dropped hydrogen bombs into the volcanoes and triggered a massive explosion, killing the Thetans. The spirit of these Thetans, known as body Thetans, were released from their physical forms. Now, these spirit Thetans went to then implant stations. And in these implant stations, uh, essentially false narratives were implanted into the Thetans' minds. So one example of a false narrative that was implanted into the Thetans' mind was Jesus, okay? That was a false story implanted by Xenu in order to create a certain type of manipulation over the people. So that would be something that we can call as a formation of an engram. According to Scientology, Jesus was just an implantation of a narrative into the Thetan mind. And Thetans uh, essentially house our human bodies. So when Jerry's talking about Gnosticism, that's essentially what it is. We have to overcome uh, what is ailing us in this physical form to become an operating Thetan so we can master and manipulate m- matter, energy, space, and time. And that's yeah. what they believe that an operating Thetan can do. And so that's, that's right. Yeah, that, that's really not just everything that you're saying, which I felt like this before when we're talking about different kinds of cults. It's really not that different than what a lot of women are fed in the form of self-help and self-love. This idea that as a Thetan, we're not originally from this planet. We have to free ourselves from like the chains of matter and you know energy and things like that to truly be liberated, to go on that path to freedom. That is essentially what women are told in a less, I mean, religious context, but it's basically like, look inside you is trapped like this inner goddess that just needs to be released through the power of self-love and all of these um, societal standards and advertising and the patriarchy and you know your toxic relationships your husband your kids all of these things are holding you back but when you throw those things off and go on this radical self-love self-understanding journey then you will finally be free of all of these chains truly find who you are and really be happy really be successful really afford that new car and all this stuff it's not 
Scientology. I mean, we're basically, in some cases, we're told it's theology. Like, we're actually told that that's like a form of Christianity some women are, or certainly a form of therapy. And so it's Mm -hmm. really similar. It's so interesting how all of these cults kind of share those characteristics. Yeah, no, no, definitely. In fact, uh, just when you talk about just like the cult-like characteristics, when you understand the worldview and also how it's being boiled like a frog, but what their beliefs are on the higher levels, that the and this is a case with with any whether it's Mormonism, where they talk about what goes on in the temple, or if you yeah. think about what actually goes on with behind the policy decision making within the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, these things on the high levels, this is never communicated to a potential convert uh, at all. But however, you do see that applied on very minuscule levels, even on the very uh, enter on the entry levels or the or the very uh, lower levels of Scientology, for example. So when somebody is holding on to the e meters, if you ever if you've ever seen those, if you look up any Scientology video, they're holding on to these two canisters, and there's this and there's this dial going back and forth, and the idea is. Everything that happens, most of your personal problems are related to something going on in your quote-unquote reactive mind. So think about social media. Let's use an example so you can, maybe our audience can understand. So on this video and other videos that you've done that have been controversial, there's a YouTube comment section. And we know that it's so easy to go there and someone says something about you or someone to replies you on social media and there's that – you have that ability sometimes or to emotionally sort of knee-jerk react to a comment. Right, so that would be an example. Scientology would a Scientologist would say that's your reactive mind. You reacting to that. So the mm-hmm. idea is to go in these sessions of auditing, whether and they'll talk about something from your childhood or even maybe even a previous life once you start going further up, and ask, well, why are you reacting to that? So the idea is to keep on saying things that would get you to react, but then allow you to detach the emotion from whatever this is and in that process eventually you'll pass one level and you'll you'll go up to being ot1 to an ot2 which is operating thetan and so yeah that that's what you end up that's what the initial process is but then you find out later on that uh you find out later on on the higher levels about a lot of the strange beliefs about uh you know xenu and dropping uh bombs into volcanoes and things like that isn't it but it isn't until later and the whole process there's this love bombing where you are told you're the most amazing per- uh, person every single level in which you achieve mm. you're you're just completely applauded and you think so much of yourself so even the idea of beginning to question even you don't no one has to sort of initially force you like not to question it, it you sort of do it on your own and so a lot of people when we talk with mike rinder from annie's scientology the aftermath he really described it in his book and even on our podcast the interview we did with him it's really just a mind prison that gets created for yourself and so you're actually thinking you are achieving total freedom and that's what's propagated spiritual freedom but in reality it ends up being uh, a prison both uh, spiritually uh, theologically uh, mentally uh, mm-hmm. psychologically and it, it goes on too like you you only associate with people who are in Scientology and then you end up having something called disconnection uh, which is part of uh, Ron Hubbard's fair game tactics it's related to that where if you begin to question or you think about leaving you have you end up being disconnected so a huge majority of what you would see if anyone's seen the show um, Scientology the aftermath with that Leah Remini from the King of mm-hmm. Queens did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw just the emotional devastation of people who 
grew up believing this thing. And that, and this is honestly one of the challenges that people on the outside, it's very easy to make fun of Scientology. You look at like a South Park episode or just a lot of the pop culture depictions of it. But we have to realize that all of us are so incredibly susceptible to false beliefs. We are incredibly suggestible. Uh, if you look up Steve Hassan, who wrote the book Combating Cult Mind Control, he talks about uh, what is called like undue influence because brainwashing that tends to be something that the idea of that is being you're being forced against your will. So if you think of like a prisoner of war like John McCain when he was captured in Vietnam and how he was broken down and eventually had to you know ar- articulate communist propaganda that went through went by way of torture and sleep de- deprivation all these things when it comes to undue influence it's very simple it's easy for us to have a conversation uh when we are about for example like gender and, and like and how transgenderism is wrong and, and all that but if you are in a college classroom uh if you're not at, say you're doing that at church but say that all of a sudden you're at a uh, classroom with a gender studies professor and every single person in that class except you is a social justice warrior who uh, completely believes in this ideology it's going to be a lot harder for you to raise your hand if you disagree. Yeah. So you kind of see it on the very minuscule level, but that really is what happens in Scientology. And so when you see someone who leaves, who is abused, who is disconnected that's in that show, there's levels of like embarrassment, shame that I was duped, that I believe these things. And then in the process of having to realize that in order for me to not believe this, I have to lose everything. I have to be cut off by my brothers, by my, you know, whether it's my older parents and you, you look at grandparents who've been separated from their children you know, or vice versa. And that show, honestly, was just heartbreaking. And in fact, you know, I think we articulated bad theology hurts people. It's actually one of our shirt, one of uh, our shirts that we mm-hmm. have. Like that show, like in many ways was a huge sort of inspiration for us to even like do this podcast when it came out yeah. um yeah it was a huge inspiration uh what are you andrew what, what are your thoughts yeah i want to add some like biblical perspective uh to the conversation real quick with regards to self-help culture and even scientology right like we're born into a fallen world there's something within us that knows that there's something wrong that there's mm-hmm. something wrong and so the bible clearly states that where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and it also says people unless they're freed by God, don't like the things of the spirit. So we're either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. We submit Mm -hmm. to something. Okay. Mm -hmm. So with regards to uh, self-help culture or Scientology, what's going on is they're looking for a solution to a problem, but it's all the elementary principles of men. It's not actually the freedom that God gives because they tell you to do X, Y, in Z. It says in Colossians 2, it says, if you have died with Christ, so the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men, which are matters, having to be sure a word of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value in stopping the indulgence against the flesh. So if anyone is submitting to a self-help culture in order to solve their problems and not relying on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to absolve our sins, you're never going to be satisfied. The bridge is going to continue to get longer and longer. You're going to look for the next object, the next material to satisfy your desires, but you're never going to be satisfied because there's a disconnect between you 
in God. And that yeah. bridge can only be gapped by Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins. And the same thing goes with Scientology. That's why they're waiting for the next thing on the bridge to total mm -hmm. freedom. It's because they're not free at all. Yeah. When the Amen. sun sets, you are free indeed. That's the biblical perspective in terms of how we should even relate in our life to any form of idolatry. Our hearts should break for people uh, who are being held captive to a system of man because it doesn't stop the indulgence of the flesh. Instead, it actually uh, creates more of an indulgence in the psalm state that if you worship idols, you eventually become just like them. I love telling you guys about Seven Weeks Coffee because I just love their mission. And I also love their coffee. They're a pro-life coffee company. They have a very simple mission. They donate 10% of every sale to pregnancy care centers across the country. This is a significant portion of their profits. They want to protect every beating heart at seven weeks. That baby is the size of a coffee bean. That's why they've named their company that. And so now they're supporting over 500 pregnancy centers across the country. These pregnancy centers, as you know, they are showing up for these moms, for these families who are in need, who are expecting a child, helping them in every way choose life. And seven weeks decided, hey, we can provide really good coffee while also helping these pregnancy centers save lives. So be a part of that. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use code Allie at checkout for 10% off your order. Go to sevenweekscoffee.com. Use code Allie at checkout. Sevenweekscoffee.com. Code Allie. There are some people who are Scientologists who also claim to be Christians. Joy Villa, you might remember she kind of uh, made waves in the conservative world when she wore some kind of dress to some of it. I don't even remember. It was a few years ago, maybe 2017, 18, that said, make America great again. She did another one that was pro-life. She was on Fox mm. News a lot. And she's a Scientologist, but she will also say, like, she's a Christian. And so I've seen this from a few people saying, Sure, you can be a Christian and a Scientologist. Obviously, we know that's not true. Or you can even be a Buddhist and a Scientologist. But um, in addition to what you just explained so well, Andrew, like what are some reasons why Scientology and Christianity are just opposed to each other? And, and why also would Scientology say that you can do both? That seems a little weird. Yeah. Jerry, you want to go first? Well, yeah, I would refer people back to uh, the interview we did with Mike Rinder from Scientology The Aftermath, um, just because, honestly, even though this is a podcast that Andrew and I do, this is also a ministry that we do, it's our vantage point is from the outside looking in. Uh, I've never done a Scientology course. I've never been audited. <laughs> and um, so I, I'm really from the outside looking in. Uh, I think Mike Rinder is one of the most qualified people as far as he's somebody who grew up around Ron Hubbard. He was on the Apollo with him. If you've ever seen, if anyone watched any of the documentaries uh, going clear, he, he was actually on the boat. He was part of the Sea Org. He was pretty much the public spokesperson for Scientology for a very extended amount of time. He was also uh, very much involved with Tom Cruise's public relations in relation to the Sherpa Church of Scientology. But in the very, very beginning, you know, we asked him just about his thoughts on Scientology in relation to Christianity. And uh, I think it's right around the 20. If you go to uh, our podcast, Mike Rinder, uh, Inside the Mind President Scientology, he, he basically himself, he, like, Mike Rinder's not a Christian, but he emphatically stated that Scientology is not Christian. They're radically, the basic fundamental tenets of Jesus being an actual man, uh, 
th- who died on the cross, who, who just uh, the historical figure of Christ. Uh, Ron Hubbard adamantly denied. I believe he said that Christ was a false memory uh, implanted right. here. Uh, and so you have that aesthetic, but even look at even the actions. You should judge a tree by its fruit. So Ron Hubbard, the only real appeal from what I remember, even like the cross and their symbol, was just to sort of have a marketing appeal. In fact, he did an mm-hmm. advertising campaign, which Mike explained to us in the podcast, where he would sort of have these sort of meetings that he would try and uh, market to Christians to talk to them about Scientology. I was saying it's a Christian religion uh, or it's completely compatible and syncretistic. But as soon as people attended the meeting, he completely flipped switch and it was a straight up Scientology presentation. Uh, And so I would say just from uh, independent eyewitness and testimony of somebody and like Mike's story has been verified uh, by many, uh, many aside from the Scientology propaganda, propaganda outlets. I mean, he has one of the most unique vantage points and yeah. So just from his vantage point of like what, even what L. Ron Hubbard uh, both taught, believed and articulated and practiced out during the early years of Scientology would say that, it, they are so polar opposites of each other. Uh, that would be yeah. an understatement to begin with. Uh, what are your thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, so I would say with regards to Scientology, uh, they're extremely pragmatic, right? Every single world religion has to do something with Jesus. He's the most important central figure in human history. Uh, to appeal to people, of course, they're going to say things like, you can be a Christian and be a Scientologist. Uh, I mean, LDS people say that they're Christian too. I talk to them all the time on the street. There's Muslims who say that they believe in Jesus, right? There's even Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses. They say that they believe in Jesus. I mean, we have biblical precedent for this. Not only does Jesus tell us there's going to be many who come in his name, right? But 2 Corinthians 11:4, Paul tells us, he says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if we receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. He's warning the the church in Corinth at that time. He's like, I think you'd put up with it. You are putting up with it. And he mm-hmm. corrects them. We're told also in 1 John 4, he says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see that they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out in the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Meaning this, that when Jesus is the Christ, we're looking back at Isaiah 9, 6, that he is Emmanuel. He is the mighty God. He is the God from everlasting into everlasting who took on flesh and saved his people from his sins, Isaiah 53. And also, like Jerry was saying, we have a historical point, in fact, for the resurrection of Jesus. We have an empty tomb. And if Christ is not dead, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, then we are still in our sins. And we know that. Scientology is completely antithetical to the gospel because, number one, uh, when you believe in a different Jesus, say you believe in a Jesus that's a false memory, then he didn't satisfy or atone any form of sin. You're going to have to actually have to satisfy that requirement for yourself by going through the bridge to freedom. But again, you'll never be able to satisfy it. Therefore, you get a different gospel like we're warned of in Galatians 1.8. And if anyone comes with a different gospel or with a different Jesus, uh, it's actually not Christianity. And we use the same standard uh, when we're talking to a Jehovah's Witness or we're talking to an LDS person or we're talking even to a Muslim. So we actually have the Bible to protect us from false Jesuses and from false gospels. So yeah. I would say that it's not me and my own personal feelings that would tell someone like Joy Villa that, that they're not a Christian. I'd actually say it's God through the Holy Spirit who says that you're not a Christian because mm-hmm. he is God himself. Yeah. And one thing I was thinking of when you were talking about all the things that you don't even know when you first walk into Scientology, when you're starting to be audited, like you don't even learn about 
how L. Ron Hubbard believed that the world was created and all of these different things. And you may never if you don't, I guess, invest enough money and get to that level and all of that. And that seems true of a lot of these different cults. And you could probably tell us whether that's a characteristic of all cults, but you have to kind of travel to this like inner sanctum of, um, you know, closeness to the people who are in charge to really, you know, be revealed all of this stuff. And that's so different than Christianity, where we want to lay it all out there. That doesn't mean that there aren't some theological concepts that are more uh, difficult to understand than others, but we're like, come to our church, see how we worship, see what we talk about. Here's the entire Bible. Like, we're not going to hide anything from you. There's not some other secret text that has the weird stuff in it that we don't really want to show you quite yet. Uh-huh. You don't like get to be one day closer or you shouldn't be able to get to one day be closer to our pastor or our leaders if you invest enough money and then we finally reveal to you what it really means to be a Christian. Like it's so out there that actually the most, the central part of Christianity, the most controversial part of Christianity, Jesus Christ himself, he actually became flesh into all the monk people and was God, declared that he was God acted as God. And so there's nothing to hide within Christianity. The entirety of the gospel is right there. And we actually desperately want you to know all of it as much as possible. Uh That seems to be one big difference between these kind of Gnostic cults and Christianity. Yeah, definitely. And in fact, um, one of the fruits too, which you could kind of jump into as far as Scientology's behavior, both towards the uh, the U.S. government and towards those who have defected and spoken out against the Church of Scientology, which would make it not uh, fun, unequivocally not Christian, is the basic teachings of Jesus when he talked about his disciples said, "Hey, love, love those and pray for those." who persecute you. Uh, Scientology is the exact polar opposite, where it says, destroy anybody who questions anything regarding uh, the teachings of L. Ron Hubbard, who speaks out against the Church of Scientology. have to tell you guys about how complicated health insurance is. If you have health insurance, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it feels like you don't have insurance at all. You're like, what's even the point of this? Because I am paying so much out of pocket and it just gets so complex with doctors networks and things like that. And so if you want to get out of the craziness of the health insurance world, then you should try a health share service, specifically Crowd Health. I love the people at Crowd Health. They're motivated by the same values that you and I do, and they just want people to actually be able to cover their healthcare expenses without all of the complications and tricks of normal health insurance. Um, so, how it works is you pay this $50 a month membership that includes tools and services that you need to get the highest quality healthcare. There's no doctor's networks or anything like that. So you get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, so much more. Plus, you'll have access to your own personal healthcare advocate who will help you navigate the complexities of health events, negotiate bills on your behalf. And of course, you join the crowd with Crowd Health, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. So $50 a month, you're coming together, you're pooling your funds, and you're helping cover each other's healthcare expenses. So go to crowdhealth.com, crowdhealth, or joincrowdhealth.com, joincrowdhealth.com, use code Allie, 
To get the healthcare you deserve, join crowdhealth.com code Allie. CrowdHealth is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com code Allie. Okay, we left you on a cliffhanger there. Purposely, you got to tune in for part two. We're going to be talking about some of the mysterious and very disturbing practices within Scientology. And again, talking about the significance of this, um, obviously, theologically, morally, but also politically. Like, there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of strange connections. Uh, between the government, between state and local governments and Scientology. So we're going to explore those in the next episode with these guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. 